Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 119th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, cybersecurity, and information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is the perils of biometric information, relevant laws and insurance coverage for biometric lawsuits. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsor, Logical, instant discovery software for modern legal teams. Logical offers perfectly predictable pricing at just $250 per matter per month. Create your free account at any time at Logical.com. That's logic with a K, C-U-L-L.com forward slash L-T-N. Today, our guest is our friend and sometime co-speaker, Judy Selby. Judy has over 25 years of complex insurance coverage litigation and international arbitration experience, handling large-scale, complex first- and third-party insurance matters. Her experience includes coverage opinions, all phases of coverage litigation through trial and appeal, and international arbitrations involving environmental, toxic tort, cyber-slash-privacy, BIPA, TCPA, business interruption, bad faith, pharmaceutical products, and COVID-19 claims. She also advises clients concerning compliance with privacy and cybersecurity laws and regulations, technology contracts, and co-founded the e-discovery and information governance teams at an Amwan LaHundred firm. It's great to have you with us, Judy. Hey, John. Hey, Sharon. Thanks so much for the invitation. I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners today. Well, it is good to have you here, but I got to tell you that biometric information and biometric lawsuits, the very thought of these make my head hurt. (laughs) So before before we get into the subject, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and what you've been seeing with with regard to biometric information, because I know it's important uh, and timely. Yeah, it sure is. And and it, it is such a hot issue right now with real serious risks attached to it that for some reason is flying under too many people's radar screens. And what I'm seeing now is more and more companies utilizing technologies that allow them to exploit biometric information, usually for identifying employees or customers, uh, something along those lines but maybe not recognizing all the risks associated with the use of that technology and and the information they get from that that technology. And then, of course, being an insurance lawyer, we're starting to see more and more claims coming in for companies that are sued for biometric privacy law violations, typically under the Illinois statute, and, um, and looking to their insurance carriers for coverage of those claims. And so that's another area we'll discuss today, whether or not there's coverage under various policies for these claims. And the, and the claims out of Illinois can be very substantial because of the statutory damages involved. So, so Judy, help us out a little bit here and, and give us some examples of, of biometric identifiers. 
If you think of things like fingerprint scans, retinal scans, facial scans, things like that, you know, like, I don't know about you, but when, when I was a kid, my first job, I had to go in and punch a time clock, you know, with a card. Now employees go in and put their fingerprint, you know, on a scanner and that, and that checks them in and out of the job. There's also facial recognition technology that's being used by retailers, employees, but there are these types of information, including, by the way, behavioral information, characteristics around how, how people behave, such as how, how long it takes you to type your password in when, you, when you've enabled multi-factor authentication in perhaps a, a bank app. All those types of things are typically used to identify human beings, grant access to buildings, things along those lines. Well, I think you've told us something about how they've been used. Are they used in some bad way? <laughs> well, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of press lately and, and some, some good scientific evidence to back it up that some of the law enforcement uses of facial recognition, for example, is not accurate uh, for people with darker skin. And so there's real issues around making identifications based on that, that technology if, if, if it's suspect. And, and the, real, the real risk with using this information is that unlike a credit card or a password, something like that, you can't cancel it. You know, in that way, it's a little bit like um, protected health information. You can't just say, you know what, uh, somebody got my fingerprint scan, so, you know, just cancel that and give me a new fingerprint, God, you know? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work that way, huh? It doesn't work that way. And so, um, and, and so they're, they're usually used for um, identification purposes. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, oftentimes it's in the employment context, but it could also be used for a person who subscribes to some type of an offering. And there's a, there's a case we'll talk about in a little while where a tanning salon has their members provide a fingerprint scan and then they can use any tanning salon in their, in their network. You just walk in and put your fingerprint down and, and you're, you can get entry to the tanning salon. So there's all, all kinds of things, but you know the technology is moving so fast and developing so quickly, and now we're seeing things like you know, remote proctoring of students taking exams at home because of uh, the COVID situation. Also, facial recognition and, and you know, involved with temperature scanning for people uh, for COVID, you know, to enter a building, for example. So we're starting to see these new uses pop up all the time. And that's why it's so important. And I'm very glad we're doing this, uh, having this discussion today, because people need to be aware of all these uses. And, and as I was saying earlier, the risks attached to the, to the use of this type of uh, data and the technology. Well, I'm glad you mentioned all that, Judy, because that's one of the things that I personally am not a big fan of the biometrics because of all that, that data collection and, and mm. being a technologist. Not everything works. <laughs> right every single time so um, which i'm sure you know even preparing for this podcast we had some some gremlins that were out there but um talk a little bit about some of the risks if, if something does go wrong you know and they're obviously they're doing these apps and they're doing this collection for for a particular purpose but not everything works 100 percent of the time but what if it does go wrong you know the data gets out or or it goes to somebody that that shouldn't have access to it yeah, the, the, the biggest risks in my mind are misidentification of, of somebody 
or identity theft. So let's say that you work for a company that requires a facial scan for you to gain entrance into the building. And your facial scan, the, the, the data is, is compromised somehow. How does that affect your ability as the employee to continue working for that employer? How does the employer handle that? You know, what, and what happens going forward if the, if the employee wants to go work someplace else that uses that same type of technology? And that data has already been compromised. So that, that to me is a really big issue. And, and what, what people can do with identi- identity theft is, you know, kind of the sky's the limit, uh, which is scary. And sometimes you don't find out about it until many years after the fact, which makes it, which makes it even worse. And then the misidentification, of course, is, is a big issue. I know that some cities have prevented law enforcement from using facial recognition just for this very reason. But it'll manifest in other ways as well as the technology continues to evolve. So we just have to be aware of it that, yes, things can go wrong with the technology, you know, all kinds of malfunctions or ineffectiveness. But then there's also the risk of the information being compromised and what what can happen to the victim uh, when the information falls into the wrong hands. Mm. Well, I'm sure there's there's another squishy area there too about data ownership too, right? I mean, who who owns your iris scan, right? As an example. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the big issues, you know, under the Illinois law, and I've referenced that a couple of times, so I should probably tell you what it is. It's it's the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Law, and it's referred to Privacy Act, and it's referred to as BIPA, B-I-P-A. It has that private right of action for consumers or individuals to bring a lawsuit against the entity that's alleged of violating the act. But the requirements of, of BIPA are all around getting the consent of the, of the person and providing the, the adequate disclosures about what information you're taking, why you're taking it, and the retention period, how long you're keeping it for. And so providing those types of disclosures in advance, at least under the, under this, the act in Illinois, is really, really key. And where we see companies getting into trouble, at least allegedly, is not providing those disclosures, not getting those consents. There's a lawsuit filed very recently against a major retailer that allegedly was doing facial recognition for employees, but also for all the, all the customers who, who walk in and out of the store. So can you imagine like a major retailer with, with locations all over the country, you know, having all of that information there? And, and then how do you, even if you wanted to get the consent, how do you do that under, under the relevant regulatory or, or legal scheme, you know, in terms of posting signs or whatever it may be? So, yeah, these are tricky issues that are being worked out as we speak. Well, beyond Illinois, Judy, are there other laws concerning biometric information elsewhere in the country? There are. There are four specific biometric privacy laws in the United States. One is Illinois, one is Texas, Arkansas, and Washington State. Now, the other three, Texas, Arkansas, and Washington, don't have a private right of action Some other states added biometric information to their breach notification laws. New York did that fairly recently. And biometric information is included in the CCPA in their definition of protected information. So it's kind of, there's there's these two different kind of avenues where we're starting to see biometric information creep into legislation. 
But there are some proposed laws out there that you know people should try to stay stay aware of. There's one in Massachusetts right now that also has a private right of action, up to seven hundred fifty dollars per consumer per incident. The Illinois law goes all the way up to five thousand dollars per incident for intentional or reckless incidents. By the way. So you can see it's a very attractive type of statute for class action lawyers. It's $1,000 per person for a negligent violation of the act. The proposed New York Biometric Act, which was introduced a couple of years ago, hasn't gone through yet, has a very similar statutory damages scheme as BIPA. So it's hard to keep track. People need to be kind of vigilant and and see what's going on in whatever state you're in. But a takeaway message from this discussion we're having right now should not be, I'm not in Illinois, so who cares? (laughs) 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 These, These laws are coming everywhere. And so people really should, you know, start paying attention. I'm glad we're going to talk a little bit more about that later because BIPA has certainly made the headlines a lot. It sure has. It sure has. And, and another another takeaway message or not takeaway message should be that um, it's, it's not just big tech companies or major retailers who are, who are being sued. People like to talk a lot about the biometric claims against Google and Facebook and the major retailers. But, you know, we see mom and pops, fast food franchises, you know, all kind, all businesses large and small impacted by this. So it's, it's not just uh, affecting the, the big tech companies. So that's another takeaway message as well. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Trying to cut costs? You're not alone. In today's climate, a five-figure e-discovery bill per month is steep. Don't pay that. Use Logical to reduce expense and control your discovery process. Get started today for only $250 per matter and they'll waive migration costs from competing platforms. For more information, visit Logical.com slash LTN. That's Logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is perils of biometric information, relevant laws, and insurance coverage for biometric lawsuits. Our guest is our friend and sometime co-speaker, Judy Selby. Judy has over 25 years of complex insurance coverage, litigation, and international arbitration experience, handling large-scale, complex first- and third-party insurance matters. Well, Judy, before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the states and the laws and things they they have out there. But are there any additional laws on the horizon or, God forbid, is there going to be a federal one either? Well, you know, there was a federal law proposed about a month ago. I'm not expecting anything to happen anytime soon with that, but it, it was introduced in the Senate probably about four weeks ago. 
Uh, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, I would urge people to to pay attention to what's going on in their specific state or if, if you're working with companies that are in various states in those in those different locations. Because, you know, anybody can introduce a bill at any time for anything. I, w- I would pay particular attention to uh, Massachusetts, though. Last I heard, that one is probably, you know, moving along faster than some of the other ones. So I, w- I would watch Massachusetts. I mentioned earlier that uh, BIPA, I see it in the headlines all the time. Why, why is that particular law garnering so much attention? Well, it really is that private right of action. We're seeing hundreds of class actions filed against companies, large and small, for viol- alleged violations of, of, the, of the act. Oftentimes, they're, they're in the employment context, as we were saying earlier. It's oftentimes a, a timekeeping type of situation, usually with a fingerprint scan. And I don't know how the the plaintiffs are being found. I don't know if they're advertising on TV. I'm in New York. I'm not in Illinois. I don't know how they're being found. But as I say, there are hundreds of these class actions being filed. And there was some case law. You know, the, the funny thing is that BIPA has been on the books since 2008. But the, the, the floodgates have really opened fairly recently. And I think a lot of that has to do with a decision from the Illinois Supreme Court, I believe it was in 2015, that said you don't have to show any harm as the consumer, as the plaintiff bringing the claim. You can just allege the statutory violation, meaning, you know, you didn't, you didn't get my consent, you didn't provide the adequate disclosures, and off you go. There's been a little bit more activity concerning which sections of BIPA would be appropriate for standing in federal court, probably beyond the scope of of this discussion. But to to file a BIPA claim in state court, all you need to do is allege that, that violation. And as I say, hundreds, hundreds of these lawsuits are being filed. What types of, of BIPA violations are, are you, you seeing? Yeah, it's it's usually, you know, as I say, in the employment context, there's there are so many around, I guess, hourly workers, you know, people who, who clock in and out of their jobs. From what I what I'm seeing, those are those are the like the largest number of claims out there. And, you know, there are different diff, different issues are gonna arise, you know, when you're dealing with employees and when you're dealing with the general public, but it comes down to that same, those same basic factors of, you know, you collected the biometric information, you didn't get my consent, and you didn't provide the appropriate disclosures. And so I would say anybody anybody who is dealing with companies that have hourly workers that are being clocked in and out, as I said, the old-fashioned time cards are, are passe, <laughs> you know, people are using this other type of technology now, and that's where the risk is. Well, you know, your next question here is, is kind of complicated, so I'm going to say it slowly for, for the benefit <laughs> of our listeners. So when you're looking at insurance coverage for these BIPA lawsuits, what insurance policies are potentially implicated, and are there exclusions and other policy provisions that come into play? What we're seeing right now is when when a company is is sued in a, with a BIPA class action, they may tender the claim to their insurance company. You know, report the claim to their insurance company under any 
any variety of insurance policies, trying to find some coverage out there. So it can be your uh, general liability policy. It can be an employment practices policy. It can be a DNO policy, uh, you know, depending on the situation at issue. Uh, it can be a cyber policy. And in my view, the, the claim, you know, a BIPA lawsuit probably would fit best under a cyber policy, you know, depending on the form. Uh, Sharon and John, we have discussed this in other venues, how all the mm-hmm. cyber insurance policies are different and you really have to look at them. <laughs> but when you, when you tender a claim under a general liability, uh, liability form, like a, a, a CGL form, they're frequently call, called, there's two types of coverage there. There's coverage A, and that's bodily injury and property damage type claims. And so when an insured presents a claim under coverage A, it may not seem intuitive, you know, that that would, you know, be a, be a fit because of the bodily injury or property damage requirements. Some claimants allege that they have uh, like mental anguish, mental distress, emotional distress associated with a BIPA claim. Those allegations are probably put in there to try to trigger some insurance coverage, I suspect. But that, that's probably not a great fit under many of the of the policies. The the policies require an occurrence, uh, which is often defined as an accident, that that leads to property damage or a bodily injury. And so, getting through over that hurdle of was this an occurrence could be very difficult. In in some states and in some policy forms, there's no coverage for mental distress or emotional distress unless it's accompanied by actual kind of physical injury. And um, so that seems like a difficult, a difficult hurdle, I would think, for a lot of um, BIPA claims that there was any type of physical injury there. Under coverage B, uh, that's the second type of coverage under a CGL policy, there can be coverage for what's called wrongful acts for personal injury or advertising injury. And so one of the, one of the types of wrongful acts that's oftentimes included is for violation of somebody's right to privacy. And so we're seeing some action in that area. The policies require that the insured published information that violated somebody's right to privacy. And so you, you, we're getting down to this, this issue of what is a publication of the biometric information in the context of an insurance policy. And there has been only one reported case, believe it or not, in, in Illinois, not surprisingly, concerning coverage for a BIPA claim under coverage B of a CGL policy. And it was that tanning salon case that I mentioned earlier. And the, the insured in that case was the tanning salon. The claimant was a customer and she provided her fingerprint so that she could utilize any other salon. The fingerprint was given by the tanning salon to one single vendor. And that vendor then implemented the technology that would allow the plaintiff, the underlying plaintiff, to use any of the other salons. So when the tanning salon tendered the claim to the insurance company, the the insurance company said, well, wait a minute, there hasn't been a publication of the information within the meaning of the insurance policy because it wasn't widely distributed. You know, the fingerprint, the, the data wasn't widely distributed. And the court said, well, insurance company, if you wanted 
that to be the meaning of publication. You should have said so in the policy, and we're going to say that you have a duty to defend this case. So it's a little bit of a controversial decision because there's some earlier Illinois precedent that that talks about a more widespread distribution to satisfy that publication requirement. I expect that to be a pretty hot issue in, in insurance coverage circles going forward. Under, under a lot of policies, CGL policies, there are also exclusions for violations of different types of laws, you know, different, uh, you know, laws that are around obtaining and sharing confidential information, exclusions for violations of laws, exclusions for things arising out of the employment context. And so if you look at an employment practices insurance policy, they, they often have a, a similar violation of laws exclusion. And so there, there's probably going to be a, a knowledge component there. So whether the, whether the insured knew they were violating the law, you know, may be a relevant issue in, in these cases. You know, so it's, these things are going to be very, very fact-specific. In, in fact, a workers' comp type of exclusions in CGL policies may, may be applicable, applicable as well. Some policies also will say, well, we don't cover you for fines or penalties or for punitive damages. In fact, sometimes the state law, whatever law is governing the insurance policy, will say you know, it's against our public policy to allow insurance for punitive damages or for fines and penalties. And so if the interesting thing about BIPA, by the way, is for the statutory damages, you can bring a claim for, you can try to get for damages your actual compensatory damages, or you can default to the statutory damages. I haven't seen any claim where somebody was, was going in there and saying, this is how much this alleged violation impacted me. Here's my, here are my receipts, you know? So it seems that, that, that people are typically relying on the statutory damages. And so then you get into this issue, well, are these really damages? You know, depending on, on what the policy says, if the policy defines covered damages as something compensatory in nature, you know, there could be an argument that, well, these are not compensatories. This, this is really a fine or a penalty that wouldn't be covered either under the, under the wordings of the policy or by the applicable law. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty big issue right now. Under cyber policies, you probably have a better shot at coverage. You, you probably want to make sure that the policy applies to biometric information. If the policy defines protected information or whatever term they use in a more narrow way that doesn't include biometric information, then there might be a, um, a challenge to coverage. But if, if, the, if the policy says, we, you know, we cover information that's protected under any privacy law, you know, in the United States or, or in other jurisdictions, you know, you probably have a much better shot of saying, you know, at, at least it covers this type of information. But those policies will, will also typically contain an intentional acts exclusion. Like you can't go around intentionally harming people, intentionally breaking laws, you know, and expecting insurance companies to pay for it. So that could be that could be problematic as well. And then another issue that I know um, Sharon, you and I have discussed on some panels, 
if there's a regulatory claim, in other words, not a private right of action, but let's say a regulator or an AG or somebody brings a claim against a company for violation of a, of a biometric law or regulation, some cyber insurance policies limit their regulatory coverage to data breach or security event type of situations. And so that may not apply to, you know, the typical type of claim we're seeing now where the issue is, well, you didn't get consent or you didn't provide the right disclosures, but nothing happened. You know, there was no data breach where the information was stolen, for example. So I know that's a mouthful, but <laughs> those are, <laughs> those are, the, those are the, the big issues that come to mind um, when you're looking at, is there going to be coverage for for these types of claims under all types of policies, including cyber. Well, it's it's a very dense topic, and I regret that we are are out of time today. But it, I know that a lot of people have, will learn a lot from this this particular podcast. It really is very difficult to understand, and I, I've heard a lot about BIPA. It's been all over the place. Now we're talking about it. Today was also TikTok Day, of course. So we've all been reading about TikTok. <laughs> so maybe what we need to do to lighten up BIPA is to do a BIPA boogie woogie on TikTok. Um, so. <laughs> Let's let's combine the events oh, oh, of I don't my wanna, day. I don't, I don't want to see that. <laughs> oh, Judy's going to do all the dancing. Trust oh, okay. me. Okay. Okay. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I, the the main thing I wanted to get across today was you know these laws are out there and and there are more coming. You know, don't assume they don't apply to you. Don't don't make assumptions around your insurance coverage. Do your homework, and uh, try not to be caught flat footed. Well, I think I think everybody came away with that, and I know how valuable your time is, Judy. So I really want to thank you for for lending your expertise on this very. Uh, it can be a dense subject. I, I know it makes my head hurt, and I'm I'm sure I'm not alone. So thank you very much for for being our friend and for being our guest. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or an Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and cybersecurity services at senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.